Want to live a life of luxury without breaking the bank? We'll talk about it on this episode of the Mind Dog TV podcast. Is everybody ready for the Mind Dog to make the show? Yet another episode of the Mind Dog TV podcast. I'm Matt Napo. Thanks for coming. It's great to have you here as always. Going to have an interesting talk today with a gentleman who is a recognized media guest, author, uh, keynote speaker, and television host, and cinematographer. Uh, but he's not quite here yet, maybe having a little bit of difficulty uh, connecting. Uh, one thing you should be aware of is we're in the middle of another extreme weather day here. And in the past month, we've had a couple of extreme weather days that actually knocked out our power and internet. So there's a good chance that that might happen again. They say things happen in threes. And that, that might be the case here today. I want to go on a, a little rant before my guest gets here because um, something is, has been really bothering me. Ever since uh, it became clear to me uh, that the election was won by uh, Joe Biden, which to me it became clear on 4 at 4.30 a.m. on November 4th. I see my guest has arrived, and uh, I'll get to him in just one second, but I need to kind of... Uh, express this. Ever since it became clear to everyone, or almost everyone, uh, that even those in denial, public denial, that Joe Biden won the uh, election, I've been extremely nervous about how this might play out. And every night now, I go to bed hoping that when I wake up in the morning, the United States of America is not under martial law. Now, I know that that sounds alarmist and crazy, but uh, the more I look at the situation and the insane person who is running the country right now still has his hands uh, on the wheel of uh, the United States of America, uh, the more I think uh, the worst is actually possible. And I hate to be a doomsday sayer and uh, somebody who is really uh, expecting the worst, but knowing uh, the man's behavior, uh, and seeing how he's reacting to losing is making me extremely nervous. Now, I had a, a talk with a friend last night who's been a hardcore Trumper all along. And uh, for the first time, I heard him saying he was repulsed by Donald Trump's behavior in all of this. But as most Trumpers, uh, and I, I hope, my, <laughs> I'm hoping, I don't know my guest's uh, political leanings on this, uh, and I'm hoping I'm not offending him, but most Trumpers, and, and and this is the fact, folks, uh, are very misinformed or uninformed about the nature uh, of what we're dealing with. It's just a fact. They're caught up in the emotion. They're caught up in the uh, the salesmanship, the P.T. Barnum, uh, you know, persona that he puts on, uh, or the whole facade of Donald Trump. But they don't know the 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 minutia of details behind everything. You know, they think they believe the Russia stuff was a hoax. They believe uh, in a lot of stuff, but they don't even know what most of them don't even know what Q is or QAnon is. And I had to explain to him about a recent guest who was on, who was a Q guy spouting the worst conspiracy theories. But here it is. This thing now has gotten to proportions where uh, I really believe that there's a good chance that he may try to institute martial law on, on America. Uh, I, I hope that's not the case. But the more I look at it and the more I see this, uh, this fear that he is going to go to jail, and that's a realistic uh, fear uh, because of all the con It's not just one crime in the last four years. There have been multitude and multiple levels of crimes that he's committed. And... Eventually, uh, without the protection of the office of the presidency, he's going to have to face uh, justice in some way. And that's becoming increasingly clear. And so what what we're seeing now is uh, kind of like early March of 1945, Hitler in the bunker trying to figure out an escape plan. And there's a good chance we might find <laughs> we might find a couple of uh, bodies out in back of the White House, presume they they're uh, <laughs> um, the Fuhrer and Ava Braun, 
And uh, then 100 years from now, people will be speculating where he escaped to. I, I really think that's a real possibility. And it's a fear that I, I have every day. I'm a little nervous that tomorrow I'm going to wake up and we're going to see tanks rolling down the streets in America. Now, if you're uh, watching uh, the news at all or paying attention to the news, I should say not watching the news because I don't have a television. If you're paying attention at all, you know that he's filling the Pentagon with loyalists who have no experience in military stuff whatsoever. Why is he doing that? Why? Got to make you a little nervous. Just something to think about. I'm really, I hate to start this day on a negative note. Okay, let me quickly, I, I have uh, four sponsors lined up. I'm just going to uh, go through one of them right now and uh, introduce my guest in for the sake of time because that rant took up way too much time. But I'm uh, uh, seriously concerned about this. FunWise Capital, you know all about FunWise Capital. FunWise Capital is a lender matching platform that gets you the best lines of credit guaranteed. Apply online in 60 seconds or less and there's no effect to your credit score to see how much you can get. Use the funding for anything you need to start or grow your business. That's right, I said start or grow your business. If you don't have a, a business yet, but you got a solid business plan, you can get funding. Uh, make sure it's a well-documented business plan, though, not just a one. Uh, get the best funding you can qualify for. Their strategic lender matching platform searches through hundreds of lenders to find the very best possible option for your unique situation. They have hundreds of five-star reviews on Google, Trustpilot, and Facebook, and an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. They provide unsecured lines of credit at 0% interest for 9 to 15 months, unsecured term loans, loans based on income, short-term gap funding, and bridge loans, all that kind of stuff. Uh, they work with real estate, startups, as I mentioned, franchises, restaurants, any kind of business, any kind of project. To get started, just go to apply com slash mindog com slash mindog the links will be in the description and i surely do uh appreciate you patronizing my sponsor now on to the, uh, today's big program <laughs> sean bennett is a nationally recognized actor media guest author and keynote speaker and television host and also on his imd page listen that a cinematographer as if that all wasn't enough he uh has written a book called luxury uh, steals and deals the easy guide to the good life ladies and gentlemen please open your ears open your minds and help me welcome in sean p bennett to the mind dog tv podcast sean welcome hey how's it going me oh. and Marshall law what more could you want <laughs> right i hope if you listen to that uh political rant they had in there i hope it doesn't offend you i don't know your political leanings but uh and i know i do have lots of friends who are uh donald trump supporters but i just had to get that off my chest because um it is what it is. <laughs> no, I'm not offended. I mean, I think, you know, uh, one of the good sides was that Bill Barr, uh, you know, uh, did not go along with Trump as far as saying there was any election fraud. So I think oh. Bill Barr would stop him. Flynn mentioned, you know, he wanted martial law, but Flynn went, you know, was convicted and then uh, pardoned. <laughs> so yeah. you know, lies to the FBI. I think, wow. but, you know, who knows? Right. Well, that the the good message in that, uh, or the bad message in that, rather, is if he could throw Bill Barr under the bus, he could throw anybody under the bus, including every one of his supporters. I've been saying that, you know, Barr is kept him out of jail, kept him in the presidency, and he's willing to throw that guy under the bus now. <laughs> I mean, he'll throw any he'll throw his mother under the bus if if it came to that. So uh, it's 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 a little scary. But you're right. Uh, maybe I'm being a little alarmist, but. I am very nervous about it. But let's talk about you, my friend. Oh, why not? <laughs> you know what? I found out uh, in because I read your bio on, on your – let me bring up uh, your banners, by the way, with, with the websites on them. I read the, the bio on SeanPBennett.com, uh, but then I uh, this morning I read LuxurySteelsAndDeals.com uh, and the bio on there. And in that – it says something a little uh, slightly more uh, detailed than the, the one on the Sean P. Bennett. Uh, it says you grew up in a trailer park in Florida the, uh, uh, with a single parent. Now, I I have a similar experience. I had my high school years living in a trailer park in central Florida without any pa without any parents. I was living there alone from the age of 14. So. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so... Uh, uh, but I, I hope this doesn't offend you. But when I look at you, I think you came out of uh, every mom. They doctor spanked you on the butt, took a look at your face, and said, "TV star." Uh, is that, was that the case? Were you, were you always destined to be uh, on television and film? 
I'll take it. I, I always wanted to be on television and film since I was little. Um, and when the doctor spanked me, I actually peed on him. So I guess <laughs> to this day, you know. <laughs> so I, I don't remember, but so I've been told. Um, so uh, anyhow, yeah, thanks. Uh, as a little kid, I mean, I don't know if you were similar, you know, that you would uh, be performing for family and friends or reading things aloud to others. But essentially that's what I would do. Like, you know, me and the neighborhood kids would put on shows, things like that. So it was always something that I was interested in. But you've, uh, you've also got the look. I mean, you can't, you can't cultivate, you know, it, that's a gift from God that you have a look that is very, uh, very TV, very film friendly that, you know, that, that's something you can't, that's not a skill. That's something you're born with. It's a gift. Do you, oh, do you appreciate it? Here. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Um, so where did it all start for you? Did you, uh, did you go to, uh, like acting school or, or take drama classes in high school? Where did it start for you? Exactly. I went to a high school performing arts and then I got into uh, Tisch at NYU and I fell in love with New York. Um, long story short, I had to move out of New York for a little while. And then I, I as soon as I could, I moved back uh, with the idea and determination, you know, to get into the business. And so my first big goal was to become union. Um, then that happened. And then after that, you know, just to get bigger roles and to keep it going and momentum and so forth. And so, you know, uh, there's a lot of competition. Uh, but the acting itself, I find easy. To me, the hardest thing is, you know, always getting the opportunities, you know. Right. To me, that getting in the door can often be the hardest part. Once you're in the door, I mean, I view acting and performing as fun because it's just like a part of my nature. It's who I am. And right. But then you also realize, well, there's many ways you can share your talents. So that's why I do spokesperson work. I'm starting to do motivational speaking, you know, so you can take your same gifts and just, you know, take them in other areas and listen to others, you know, doing my spokesperson work. I mean, a lot of times the universe, I believe will guide or inspire you in different ways. So I would always uh, sign up for all the rewards programs. And so often when I was traveling, with coworkers, I'd get upgraded to first class or get a bigger room and they'd say, how did you do it? I'd be like, well, I belong to this program, plus I schmoozed. And that's where the book came out of because somebody was like, you should write a book about this. So right. I said, okay. And I did. And the name of the book uh, is Luxury Steals and Deals, The Easy Guide to the Good Life. Exactly. Now, uh, if, if a poor guy like me wants to drive a Ferrari, is there something in that book that's going to help me figure out how to get a Ferrari? There are companies where you can... Uh, essentially, you know, rent any luxury car, you know, in the market, a Rolls Royce, what have it, what have you. Um, and then, you know, as far as like, say, if you wanted a Rolex, uh, a funny story of mine, after, you know, the horrible year of 9-11, I didn't have much work going on. And at the holidays, I worked at Macy's as an elf. And I had always wanted a nice watch. I mean, it was a Gucci watch I wanted. And at the time, $1,500 was way out of my league. Um, and I don't have a wealthy family. So my family was like, oh, we could send you two, $300 towards your watch. And I'm like, well, that's cute, but it's not going to cover it. So I found out while being an elf at Macy's, one day the employees, and even as a seasonal employee, get 60% off. So that watch became $600, which was way doable. And so I was able to get that watch. So you can get a Rolex if you become an elf or Santa at Macy's when there's not a pandemic going on. But, 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 but Sean, you're way too tall to be an elf. <laughs> They're growing these days. You know, the elves have changed throughout time, ever since Will Ferrell. You know, elves are bigger than they used to be. Right. Was that before Will Ferrell or, or after the movie came out? I honestly don't remember. But essentially, they need people to uh, corral the kids on their way to Santa. So wow. uh, like David Sedaris had done it. He wrote the Santa land diaries, which is brilliant about kids getting nervous and puking on their way to Santa and being overheated from their jackets and things like that. Wow. So um, why New York and not LA? I was familiar with New York and then LA was always kind of on my radar as well. But when I've gone to California for work and so forth, I just don't really get along very well with the people because I find the people there are a little too sensitive for my type of humor. Like I have a very much kind of like in your face type of personality, almost like a, a Joan Rivers, Mario Cantone type. And everybody there is a little sensitive. So for instance, if I want like an uh, upgrade in my hotel room, when I check in, I can't be like, 
hey, you know, do you have anything on the concierge level? I have to be like, hey, what's your name? Matt, Matt, so nice to meet you. You're doing going good? Cool. You know it would be really nice, Matt, if there's any way I could be on the concierge level? Because, you know, I am a gold member. It would be really good. Oh, thanks so much. But if you don't go through that whole monologue, they, they're offended. Right. <laughs> they're like, right. too much work. I'm like, I just can't. I can't deal with the people. You know, I've noticed that too, and and it's funny you should say that because on this program, I uh, definitely have to start a little slower and more small talk when I'm talking to somebody on the West Coast for some reason. It's 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 very strange to to go through that, but I I recognize what you're saying in that. Uh, so you know, I do have a lot of um, creatives and people who are what I call aspiring actors. And that doesn't mean they haven't had some acting experience, but they'll, everybody's looking for that uh, break. And, and can you talk to a little bit about, um, because a lot of them think it's luck. It's luck, but it's a lot of hard work. It's a lot of um, meeting people and, and networking and all that kind of stuff. Can you talk about what it really takes for an aspiring actor to get it? You talked about getting a foot in the door. How does that, how do you actually... Uh, go about that if you're just starting out? Sure. Um, I think the more foundation you have, if you haven't done work, you should at least like take a class, take some lessons. Um, and then there are pay to play opportunities. I mean, there's organizations that I'm not connected with, but like called Actors Connection, where you can pay to meet casting directors, pay to meet agents, you know, as well. Uh, you can digitally submit to agents, you know, your headshot resume. Now, pretty much everything and all submissions are done online. So in a way, that's good for us as actors, because it's cheaper, you don't have to have like a million pictures of yourself sitting around. Uh, because now it's just digital photos, because things have changed as time goes on. One of the best assets I think you can have in life is just really knowing yourself and what you have to offer, you know, to the world. In other words, I have one friend, you know, uh, and I have lots of talented friends, but she was more of a best friend type, but she wanted to be more of the soap opera type. So it's very hard for her to get work because she's kind of marketing herself in the wrong direction. And somebody else, you know, who also went against type, they didn't want to play, you know, any overweight characters, even though they were a little bit overweight. You know, there's nothing wrong with whoever you are, and whatever you look like. You just have to embrace that, you know. And the problem is, if you want to be the starlet or the leading man, it's even more competitive and not everybody is going to find you attractive, you know. Right. So it's almost easier, you know, to go for the friend, to go for the supporting. And if you can be funny or if you have an extra talent, you know, one way to get into the industry is special skills as well. So in other words, if you have a booming body, you might get hired just because of that, you know, for a certain project to be on a beach scene. Or if you are, say, very overweight, there's not that many people who are, you actually will have a niche. Or if, like, for instance, there's this a guy... I was working at a casting company just helping out. It was a sumo wrestler. And to me, it was just the funniest thing to see a sumo headshot. But he works all the time because there's only like four people who play sumo wrestlers. So right. a sumo wrestler, that guy gets in. So just really knowing, you know, what you can target, what you can market would really help anybody get their foot into the door. Right. You know, I recently had an acting gig and I don't I don't look for acting gigs at all. Never did. Never will. Uh, but somebody uh, cast me uh, in a role of a mafia uh, hitman enforcer. Oh. And, and it's just like it wasn't acting for me it's because I grew up with that, that I I kind of uh, knew what it was. I was just being myself. But uh, I you know, people are uh, a little bit too. And I've talked to several, you know, successful actors who uh, nobody wants to be typecast. But at, at some point, you have to accept uh, what your appearance is, what your what your, uh, you know, impression people are going to get from you and, and who you really are and embrace that. Not everybody can is cut out to be the lead. And I think that's an important message. And. You have to realize, too, that even the stars are typecast. I mean, they're a product, you know, So, and there's different types of talent. I mean, to me, Julia Roberts, Tom Cruise, Sandra Bullock, they're always kind of the same person in different situations, no matter yeah. what the character's name is. You know, Nicole Kidman, you know, she's usually always like the ice princess. You know, so you think of a product when you think of different celebrities, and then rarely do they even get to break out of what their product is, unless, you know, they try maybe an independent film, or they just happen to luck into a new opportunity. 
I've never heard that expressed that way before, but I think you're absolutely right about that. Now, uh, part of, and maybe I'm wrong here because, again, I don't, I've never pursued an acting role in my life. But I would think now I'm, I'm tying the book into, into this breaking in. Part of uh, sometimes um, getting roles is the first impression that they have of you. So if they see that you're, uh, living or looks appears that you're living a luxury life. They're going to assume you're successful uh, at what you do already, and kind of whether that's the intent or not. There's a subconscious message there that maybe he's the guy because look at him. He, he's, look at that Rolex watch. He's got to be, you know, he's got to be working. So does that play into helping you get roles? It definitely does. Uh, and and again, it's about being aware. So when you go into the audition. If they're looking for like a blue collar guy, you're not going to go in in a suit uh, or vice versa. For the reason being, you might think, well, I can play that role or, you know, surely they can see my talent. They don't need to see your talent. There's a hundred other people waiting to come in. So you have to show them you're that person. Make them believe you're that person from the time you say hello to the time you leave. Because if you don't, they might just say goodbye. Um, the opposite is true. I learned as far as like hosting and I was on Food Network and reality um, because if people view you as too um, successful, they may not like you, you know, uh, to be honest, because there might be jealousy or who do they think that person is, you know, like what they think of themselves, you know, to the versus the, how they project themselves. So it's better to be a little bit more down to earth. I mean, even I took with this extra time during the pandemic, a Tony Robbins seminar, and he mentions how wealthy and successful and everything he is, but he always wears like the same polo. Right. Because I think he wants to be, you know, like I'm one of you guys come with me on this journey. Whereas if he was really dressed up or wearing, you know, top notch clothing, it might pull people away from him. You know, that's a, that's a great point. And he actually has humble beginnings as you do as uh, my favorite, uh, and it wasn't always my favorite. Just recently, I've become a big uh, fan of George Clooney personally. Uh, I mean, I've always liked his acting in, in movies. I never saw him when he was on television, but I like his acting in movies. But personally, the guy he is now, and because we hear this Hollywood, the phrase Hollywood elites uh, passed out, and he had a response to that. You know, I grew up in Kentucky. I, you know, I worked and I worked all these jobs. I came from a, even though his father was a television uh, personality, he came from a pretty humble beginning and worked for everything he has. And so he's not a, a Hollywood but he also is a very giving person so you know that strikes me but i i think to your point if you if if you look too successful sometimes they get an impression oh he's born with a silver spoon in his mouth and uh, for you that's obviously not <laughs> if anybody really yeah. knew what what living in a trailer park like is like with us with a single mom they there's no way they would have that impression but i could see if you walked in in a you know a uh, a designer suit with a rolex watch on they might think mm, maybe this guy you know got it all handed to him <laughs> so um Yes, exactly. And like today, because it was a little stormy out, you know, I remember growing up in a trailer park, every time there was a hurricane, we thought we might blow away. <laughs> I mean, it's like a legitimate fear. And it happens almost every year in Florida or tornadoes, you know, right. I, at my um, grammar school, I remember, you know, we were studying tornadoes and it was almost like a movie scene. And they were describing what the clouds would look like. And of course, I happened to look out the window. I'm like, you mean like that? And then there <laughs> Tornado warning! We have to like all evacuate and go into like the cafeteria or wherever we all hid. I don't know. What part of Florida? Um, the town even sounds very country. Haines City is the name of it. All right, so it was just up the road from Lake Wales, where uh, okay. uh, twenty-seven. Yeah. That's where I. <laughs> that's where I was. Yeah, I know that area very well. Uh, and somebody, uh, I think Bert. Kreischer, comedian, actually asked if cow tipping was a big thing. I said it was in the seventies when I when I was a teenager in Florida. Cow tipping was a very real thing. He thought it was a myth, like nobody ever did it. But yeah, <laughs> what else are you going to do? It's like Walmart or tip the cow, you know? Right. So now the book is not written for uh, actors. It's written for everyday people, right? It's written for anybody. So my thinking is, it, you know, right now especially. Uh, could be helpful because as it as it helps you 
might be helpful in getting roles, as we just learned, not, maybe not always the case, but it might be helpful in somebody in getting an employment to kind of, uh, you know, if you're going for a, a pretty high scale management job and you're a little nervous about it, might be a good thing to pick up the book and find out how to kind of, and I, I don't want to encourage people to be inauthentic, but, you know, people do judge you on your appearance often and so this idea of looking like you're living a luxury life could be impressive to a prospective employer and people might use your book to help themselves regular people might help help themselves get a better job up their position in life to really where they can almost afford to live a luxury life legitimately (laughs) uh by using your book yes Yes, and I would like to share what was life-changing for me, and it's in the book. Um, it, it's a program here in New York, and it's also in pretty much every big city in the U.S. called 80-20 Housing. So that means 80% of the building pays full price. They're luxury buildings. I know, you know, uh, people think of a building like, say, a Trump Tower. You know, you may or may not like him. However, the buildings are surprisingly pretty nice because I've been inside of them. My building is owned by the company Related Management, um, who owns Equinoxes. So another big wig, luxury, complex uh, corporation. They also own Cycle. Anyhow, my rent now goes for $4,300 a month, and I pay $800 a month. So wow. difference. I live by myself. So I'm one of that 20%. And what happens, they... They have income variables, anywhere from about 25000 to 75000 a year, depending on the building, the rent, and so forth, um, to apply. And once you get in, you're locked in at your rent-controlled rent. So I got in 15 years ago at like 500 and something a month, and it's just went up like the 2% increments since then. So now a lot of people might be having hard financial times. A lot of people moved out of big cities because of hard financial times. If you want to move back into a big city, you may want to look into the 80-20 housing program because your neighbors are all wealthy. <laughs> They're the 80% and you're one of the 20% and you're living in the same exact apartment. They're paying four grand a month for. So why not? Right. Well, in a way, I've kind of um, I live in a house out in the suburbs, but I, I kind of have that almost same uh, thing going on. I live in a very rich neighborhood, but I'm not rich. And we have a small ranch among uh, many, many mansions up on the North Shore where, you know, people have acres and acres of land. And it's just, I think they hate us. I do <laughs> think. Uh, but um, so are you in Manhattan? I am. Yeah. So I'm in the neighborhood Chelsea. And then one of my so- Okay, go ahead. $800, I mean, in Manhattan, uh, for for people who have never been there. I mean, I remember a friend of mine back in the 70s literally had an apartment for $800, and it was smaller than this room. I mean, much smaller than this room, the entire apartment. (laughs) And there was no, like, kitchen, no, like, kitchen living room. It was a room that was a bedroom kitchen kind of hangout area <laughs> but that's that's what all you get in manhattan so eight hundred dollars is is a, an incredible <laughs> steal even if it's not in a luxury uh of course. yeah uh so wow good for you um so yeah it, how important is is authenticity in all this though because do, do you sometimes you know i could dress me up in in a uh design a, $3,000 suit and have a $5,000 watch on it, but people would know that I'm not authentic about it. You know, it, it doesn't, it's not me. Can anybody kind of, it's a mindset, right? The, yeah, be, that you deserve the luxury. Everybody is, I think, what you believe. You know, if you say, you know, nobody's ever going to love me or I'm never going to be rich or anything like that, you, it's always kind of like a self-proclaimed prophecy that you're putting out into the universe. Right. You, know? you have to think you're worthy of love. You're worthy of items, of luxury, whatever the thing may be for you, because we all have our strengths and weaknesses. Nobody's perfect. I mean, and we can always grow and learn and become better as human beings. Uh, but the authenticity just comes from really knowing what you like, what your desires are, what you have to offer others as well. You know, everybody has their own gifts and talents and you have to use whatever your gifts and talents are to, you know, move in the direction you'd like to move in. Was your mom uh, a very strong person and instilled that in you? Because it seems to me coming from that background, it would be hard for you to adopt the the mindset that you just said, if you didn't have like a really supportive, uh, 
you know, some kind of uh, support system in family. So did your mom instill that in you? Or where did you get that from? Yes, I would say largely, you know, my mom is the inspiration. I mean, she was always uh, very supportive. She'd always tell me, you know, you're the most beautiful, talented boy in the world. And I'd be like, yeah. But what was funny at the time, I had a, guy, I had a speech impediment, and I was a very heavy child. So I'd be like, I'm the most beautiful boy in the world. And I had no idea that I wasn't. I was a mess. But, you know, so I went around blindly until, like, you know, sometimes kids would tease me or whatever. But, uh so largely my mom did instill confidence. My dad, however, you know, was the exact opposite. And we were estranged for many years. And then we finally got back together years later um, with my doing. So we all have our stuff, you know, and then it's just however you progress. And you can also choose what you want to believe or where you want to go as well. Yeah, that makes it sound easy, though, I, because I know <laughs> no, no, a lot. Yeah, a lot of people, you know, who grow up and it's some people who actually grow up in lives of privilege just have a difficult uh, time adopting that mindset of I deserve more. I deserve to have a you know, good thing. I have I deserve to have a nice life. Uh, so I'm w wondering when did was it an epiphany for you or you just always had that in the back of your mind that I'm going to I'm going to make something of myself one day and I'm going to I'm I, I'm worthy of it. By nature, I think I'm just an optimist, you know, as well. And I expect things to, you know, work out. And then they usually do. But what I also have found, it always happens in the most ridiculous or unexpected ways. Things I never expected to have happened are usually what happens. Um, or I'll get some, for instance, I always wanted to be on Oprah, right? So I would pray as a little kid to be on the Oprah show. And, you know, now I'm like into all these other medallions, like lighting candles and chanting, as well as still praying because I grew up Catholic. Anyhow, so now I just have multiple gods to pray to. Anyhow, I finally go to the Oprah show on her farewell season because I was in town doing spokesperson work. And, you know, I have a big personality. So it comes screaming in, Oprah! And a warm-up person calls me up and then interviews me. They're filming it for behind the scenes of her farewell season because she's just beginning own. So all of a sudden I have the epiphany. I'm like, I'm on the Oprah stage. I'm being interviewed, but not by Oprah. <laughs> and so when Oprah was ready to come out, they're like, okay, you get out of here. <laughs> so <I'm> like, <laughs> all right. So then, you know, I start going to my chair and I see Oprah and then because it was always such a dream and I've met Angelina Jolie and I joked with her and other celebrities and I just see Oprah and a tear comes down my face and my mind goes blank and I just look at her and say, I love you. And then she looked at me and she said, I love you too, which is so sweet because I was just going totally to a ridiculous blank place. Um, <laughs> I had my dream, but not really. I was interviewed, I was on the Oprah stage, but not with Oprah. I met Oprah, but I was ridiculous and then I I went to my seat so things like that yeah uh you know what uh, i don't ask people uh the question of uh what celebrity they would love to meet you know or a famous person they would love to meet but uh often they volunteer when i've interviewed celebrities uh or people who are on the edge of celebrity i would say like <laughs> you know just below the uh superstar celebrity kind of but they, oprah is the number one person oh, wow. that Everybody wants to meet, like, and and everybody wants to at least uh, touch the magic that she has. And and again, she's somebody who uh, built it and an incredible empire coming from extremely humbling beginnings. So she would be a great great person to kind of uh, feed into that mindset of you know where you get that from because she certainly wasn't born to believe that she was in going to be a billionaire and, and in charge of a, a multimedia empire mm -hmm. <laughs> so. kind of abuse and i remember her thanking teachers and so forth for inspiring her to continue and to get you go further in her education in other areas so she's very inspiring yeah exactly was it just teachers was it other family members who pushed her i'm not exactly sure but yeah she she had every obstacle in her way and she's one of the most successful people out there all right, so I want to talk about what you're doing now uh, uh, because I think I saw on, I think it was on your Twitter page that you were doing some acting and you had like 
because I've had this on recently with the band. They made us wear these uh, plastic shields, like a cone of silence. Oh, yeah. uh, uh, are, you, are you working right now as an actor? And how difficult is that to kind of do in the, in the midst of the pandemic any, with all the special kind of precautions? That- um, twofold. Uh, they're trying to do their best on sets. Uh, for instance, yeah, and yes, I am working. They have you tested about a day to two days before you go to set. Um, the one where I actually took the picture is a new Netflix show coming up. It's probably going to be called Inventing Anna, and I play like a snooty sommelier uh, in a scene when she goes to a restaurant. And funny enough, talking about my luxury steals and deals, the plot is about a woman who pretends to be rich and then winds up going to jail, though. <laughs> so, <laughs> very interesting. So uh, on set, when you're not filming, you have to wear a mask and a shield. Um, we ate outside. There's plexiglass, you know, like around your table, wherever you are. And really everything just comes off to film. Weird, because, you know, with interactions and stuff. So there can't be any kissing scenes or any kind of that. Can there? In like... Um, yes and no, they're probably, because they'll probably do a COVID test a day of as well. So some sets are doing an additional rapid test when you're there on set. Yeah. Uh, and the crew keeps their masks on and then just essentially, you know, the actors um, are the ones taking it off. I heard, I haven't worked on it, um, but Special Victims Unit wrote in the pandemic, which I think makes sense. But a lot of shows aren't, you know, uh, so it depends on what you're doing. And I have a role coming up on the 17th I'm going to be filming uh, for the reboot of Gossip Girl on HBO. Oh, that's yeah. a cool one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, just on a side note, I had never heard the word sommelier to until three weeks ago when I had a guy who owns a, uh, uh, a, um, winery out in Napa Valley on, and I, I heard that word before. And so today's the second time I've ever heard that phrase because I've never really, uh, even though I live in wine country, never really had an interest in, in wines or wine tasting and all that stuff. Have you had any kind of background in wineries or wine tasting stuff that would prepare you for that role or not? I like to drink it. Um, and then my first <laughs> in New York, I didn't know what the heck I was going to do for a living. Um, so somebody had introduced me to cater waitering. So essentially, you know, they would show you how to pour things, how to serve things. You'd get about 20 bucks, 25 bucks an hour um, and go to all these upscale parties. Um, and that's how I started. And then when I got burnt out of it, I would show up, sign in to work, change clothes, go to the opposite end of the museum and enjoy the party <laughs> and get paid. But I knew I was quitting anyhow. So cool. towards the end. Enjoyed it a little bit more. I like you, Sean. You're an adaptable guy. <laughs> well, maybe not the best employee unless it's acting. <laughs> right. Um, so now, uh, before I ask you, because I want to ask you about A Beautiful Mind, and because I, I know you, you had some, you worked on that movie. But uh, before I do that, as I, you have so many things. I, as I introduced you, uh, author, keynote speaker, which we know about, telephone, television host, we know about, cinematographer is listed on your IMD page. Uh, are you still doing that? And is, is that something that you, you're active? You know, cinematography is it, it's a totally different world than actually being in front of the camera. It's a technical thing. It's a, um, a skill. So did, did you have training in that? Did you go to school for that? Or did you just pick it up from being on that. It's so funny because it's something I never corrected. IMDB just gave it to me. I didn't do it. <laughs> oh, you know, that, that, never, that, never you're the third yeah. guest that I've, I, I've, I've, yeah, you would think I'd learned my lesson not to trust IMDB uh, now because that's three. Uh, but, you know, I always, I always look at somebody's IMDB page and then uh, three times now they've given me bad information. That That's oh. not right. For a guy like me, I depend on that stuff to do my research. They got to be uh, more more accountable than that. So you, you haven't done cinematography well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I to, you know, if I had a good story about it, I would have shared it. But I really have nothing to say. <laughs> right, I hear you. Oh, wow, that's 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 funny. Uh, so beautiful mind. Was that your first uh, like big break, or, or uh, you know, big break? Yeah. I, I don't know if that. Uh, and how did that happen? Karma. This is a lesson, and it's combining everything we talked about. Funny enough, um, about being nice to people. Meaning, you know, for year. Well, I. Don't, 
don't even know how it was. Like, say, three years I was in New York, and I was getting some roles and some work. Um, I did a little bit on VH1, um, but none of that led to joining the union because they're not under any union jurisdiction, TV, Viacom, anyhow. Um, so a beautiful mind came about because a gentleman who was looking for more catering companies, I sat down with, I gave him a whole list. A couple years after that, after I stopped catering, waitering, he moved to LA. There was a casting director he was working with, and he was casting students to play college students in a beautiful mind and came across my headshot. And wow. so he called me for a small role that would make me sag uh, for a few days of filming in A Beautiful Mind. And that's how I got the role, because somebody recognized me who I had helped in a totally different area of life just by being a good guy. It got me my dream of becoming a union actor. Amazing. Now, did you did you uh, capitalize on that? opportunity to network it with as many people on that set as you possibly could because there were uh there were some incredible people on that set from ron howard to you know the star uh what's his name russell crowe uh but there were uh, amazing people to, and, and are they accessible and can you use that as a a like a networking tool when you're on the first big movie like that and there's so many great people around can you are they approachable in any way or i would imagine russell crowe no <laughs> <laughs> and like so the gym on set was only to be used by you know russell and uh, he had his own manicurist i mean it was very uh, segregated you know and then brian grazer the known producer was there and ron howard were there so while you're filming you could ask a question or interact with them but after that everybody was kind of um corralled into their own area so i was around other you know, fairly young guys uh, who were pretty new to the business as well. So that's mainly who I was around. So for network, right. not so much, but it was a great opportunity. Right. And uh, I guess a, a great learning uh, too opportunity were to see how things actually work on the set. I actually had somebody on who may, has a career as an extra or not an extra. What do they call them? It's, um, it's just, uh, I don't know. He he has small, very small parts in lots of lots of movies, but I don't think he has that many lines. Like if he's had one line, he's been in a hundred different movies. Name is Logan Fry, uh, and been in some big movies, big name blockbuster movies, but not as and uncredited parts and things like that without lines. But he said he got into that by being a caterer be working for a catering and basically getting to work on the set as a caterer and see all the people and network that way. So I mean, there, are, there are, that is one way in. I mean, if you're going to uh, maybe move to New York and become part of, a, if you have, are an aspiring actor, move to New York and become part of a catering company <laughs> that handles um, movie sets and things like that and film sets. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so where do you go from here? I know you mentioned the gospel, uh, gossip girl. What, what else, uh, do you, what are your goals and stuff and plans for this stuff? Because it's hard right now with everything that's going on to kind of have a plan for the future. Yes, it is. Um, you know, right now it's just to keep, keep on keeping on and just keep pushing. So move a little bit more. I started having a couple opportunities with motivational speaking. So ideally I'd love to do a Ted talk. So that's on the horizon. You know, I just have to get some materials together to before I even hit them up. So that's one goal. Uh, another goal is of course to keep, you know, the acting momentum um, moving forward because, you know, what I also view is when something, you know, terrible, like what's going on in the world today with Corona happens, because everything shifted, it also allows for new opportunity as well. So we can look at it as everything is like doom and gloom, or we could look at it as, well, maybe people moved out. You know, maybe there's more opportunity to get with a bigger agent. Maybe there's, you know, more opportunity to go to set because some people are scared to film, you know? So everything really is kind of uh, what you do with it. And I personally have had more time on my hands. So it's given me some opportunity to start venturing into new directions that probably otherwise I wouldn't have. Uh, excellent point. I think, uh, you know, it's clear that you're an optimist. You know, I'm right from the get go when we came in and we were, had that little bit of political stuff. You had an optimistic slant on it and were to my pessimistic slant on it. But it's important for people to hear that message. Now, to your point, somebody told me last night, uh, he said, you know, I look at what you're doing right now. There's very little difference between what you're doing and what Jimmy Fallon and Stephen Colbert are doing. And he said, and you know what? I enjoy what you're doing a little more than them 
them right now for some reason. So, and this wasn't like a friend of mine. This was just somebody who knows what, who's followed the program. So uh, I, I, I appreciate that. And to your other point about opportunities, I've gotten celebrities on the program that I probably would not have gotten had it not been for this lockdown. So, I mean, I'm not trying to make it all about me, but the idea that there are possibilities and opportunities in every uh, dark cloud or what seems to be a dark cloud. But uh, I think your optimism is part of what, attra- and I'm not a big believer in the law of attraction, but I believe like sometimes if you live with expectations that good things are going to happen, it's more likely that they're going to happen and, or you're more likely to uh, recognize those opportunities. Do you agree? Definitely 110%. And I do believe in the law of attraction, but the problem is it's so much deeper. And even like, that's really what Tony Robbins teaches too. He's more about, it comes from physical. I believe it's a combination of physical, mental, so forth. You could say, you know, I'm rich, I'm rich, I'm rich. But if you don't believe you're ever going to be rich, you won't be rich, you know, right. and it's very hard, you know, to get to that, you know, true belief system. You have to have it. And if you don't, you don't, you know. Right. But it also, I think most people who, who buy into that stuff and I, I, you know, for, I don't mean to belittle anybody who believes in it, but most people who buy into it, buy into it without the, the added extra piece that belief is, um, belief isn't enough. You gotta take action on it. You actually have to get up and get out of bed and make things happen. You can't just say, uh, adopt the mindset that I deserve and things are going to come to me from the universe and then lay on the couch, smoke a joint and put on the tele- television and, yeah. and think it's going to magically happen. Cause there's no such thing as magic. It's, it's hard work. And that's where we, I think what we, I started before a lot of people, look at somebody like you and think it was luck and you know a lot of aspiring guys who uh you know guys who are just starting out and they look at what you've achieved and they say, well he got lucky he got lucky but it wasn't that you you took advantage of opportunities but you made a lot of those opportunities yourself by being in out there being in the right place not just waiting for it to happen to you am i you know am i right am i exactly i mean there's like the famous quote it's either success or luck is when action and opportunity meet you know, and that's exactly what it is. You know, you have to keep going. You right. know, not everybody's going to like you. Not everybody wants to help you. Not everybody will give you your way. You're not going to get every part, you know, but you can't let it stop you. I mean, right. um, how bad did you want it if you let it stop you? You didn't really want it bad enough. I mean, that's kind of the moral, I think, of that story. Right. And you know what? Uh, I know uh, we, you've said a couple of times the the phrase motivational uh, speaker, and that's that phrase has been around since the early 80s i think what tony robbins was the first one that we recognized as that but i think uh at this point in time we need a a little shift in terminology just for semantics or whatever it is Uh, i know in the podcasting world because i'm very tuned into that being that's what i do for a living lots of groups and they're podcasters who hate the term life coach that mm-hmm. word co- comes up often and i'm thinking motivational speaker probably needs an update uh to just the semantics to make because you're doing more than motivating you're giving life stories but you're also giving um practical advice in a lot of ways so it's more than just because mo- when you think of motivation it's just like a coach rah 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 cheerleading and stuff sure. right but you, it's more than cheerleading isn't it Definitely. I feel, you know, what connects us a lot of time is our own truths, our own personal stories. And if you don't know somebody's struggle, then you can't appreciate where they've got it either. So I think everything you convey, if you're doing it on a reality show, if you're doing it on a platform as a speech, needs to have those pieces. Otherwise, you're missing a part of the puzzle. You right. know, like, who is this guy to tell me? Where do they come from? But if you say, well, this is who I am, and hopefully this can help you, then you have something to really give the world and to offer, just like you're offering, you know, through your broadcast, you know, your insight and your take on the world. And that's why, you know, the gentleman gave you the praise you deserve that you're equal to a Jimmy Fallon and everybody else out there. So Yeah, uh, I, I think that's a, an important thing to kind of consider for people. Now, um, so with, you're not doing that right now, right? You, you can't give mo- motivational speech, or can you uh, virtually? Because I don't know how that would work uh, with with the COVID thing going on. Do you do virtual, like, exactly. Somebody and how that happened is by listening to the universe. Somebody hit me up who I didn't know on LinkedIn and uh, he was doing uh, having guest speakers as an assembly for students to keep them motivated during the pandemic. So he asked me if I'd like to take 
part in his program. And he had like Olympic gold medalists and other people way more successful than myself. And I was honored. I said, sure. And he really loved what I had to offer. And that was kind of like the little spark in my mind, because ironically, at the same time he reached out to me, it was the same time I just happened to sign up for Tony Robbins. So to me, I, a lot of times the world or people in your life will give you clues about things you could do or directions you could take. It's just up to you to listen to them and to decide if you want to take it. You know, I tend to, if I have nothing to lose, go for it. Why not? Yeah. Um, so, uh, what, how does that, how would it work though within a virtual situation? Uh, would it be like a zoom thing where hundreds of people and then you're just speaking to a camera that feels a little cold. (laughs) Similar to almost like a podcast in the beginning where I had an intro and then it's kind of just doing a speech, almost like a TED talk and then going back to the interview. So that's how he had formulated it. And, and he's a teacher. So that's why he also wanted to, you know, reach students and it seems to have been successful for him. So that was the format he went. And then a lot of times I'll see the videos of TED talks and it's essentially a person on a stage, um, but they're really just talking to the camera as well as to the audience. You know? Right. Uh, according to all the TED Talks people I've had on, you have to start out as a TEDx speaker, which is a local version, I guess, of, of TED Talks. I never really understood that distinction until recently when I had somebody on and asked them how you get to be a TED Talk speaker. And you have to start, they have like a, uh, almost like a tier system that you have to graduate yeah. through. So uh, yeah. have you done any locally in New York, the TEDx stuff? Because it seems that's where people need to start, TEDx. I didn't yet. I want to put together essentially like a motivational reel and then hit them up. And I haven't done it, you know, just to be perfectly honest. And then I was also thinking that probably not much was happening right now, but I may be wrong. Um, so that's definitely something at the beginning of next year that I'm going to look into. Right. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's so there, you know, I hate to keep coming back to COVID because it seems every time I try to avoid it, it's somehow kind of, um, it, it it's so much part of our lives right now that it's inescapable to have some effect on any conversation when it especially when it comes to the business you're in no matter what business you're in so are you obviously you're an optimist are you optimistic for uh the state of entertainment uh moving forward because uh it seems to me everything in life is going to change somewhat normal uh is a word people like to throw out there but i don't think the normal that we were used to is ever coming back. And I I think that would include the entertainment business. What's your take on that? I think it's slowly bouncing back. I mean, don't forget, I mean, too, the entertainment industry provides a lot of jobs. It provides a lot of money for a lot of people. So everybody wants to pretty much, you know, get back to work, get back to being productive. Uh, So it seems like many of the areas of production are back and running. Um, It's just, you know, now you have to sit with an uncomfortable mask on and a shield on and get tested and so forth. So that's the new normal probably till at least the summer, I would say, you know, but we'll see. Right. Well, uh, it, it's very relevant in my life right now. I went out and I had a gig with the band last night, which uh, I, I I would I would prefer not to do it uh, at this point. I just want to wait until it's really safe. I'm uh, of the uh, opinion, and I know it's an unpopular opinion with a lot of people, is I'd rather be patient. I'd rather wait out until it, the time is 100% safe that we can know we can go out there and do it. But I went out and played a gig last night, and it was one of these things where if you're not singing, you have to have the mask on. You can only take the mask off when you're singing and that kind of stuff. And uh, it was a, a okay gig. People kept their distance, no dancing. You have to kind of uh, sit in your chair and do this <laughs> instead of dancing. But uh, I got home and there was a friend of mine on, on Facebook and he said, uh, he what, what last thing he got for his birthday was COVID. I knew I shouldn't have gone out. And and that hit me. I was like, I just played a gig and, I, and I'm thinking, I hope I didn't uh, participate or, or was a catalyst in somebody getting this disease. And because I feel like we, even though we keep it, we try to keep it safe and the mask and the devices, the cone of silence and stuff, it's still a danger. And that kind of pointed it out to me. So, uh, when, when we think about, you know, I, yeah, everybody wants, everybody's impatient. They want it to come back and they, they we want to get out and get entertained and they want to be part of the entertainment industry. People want to work, all that stuff. But at some point, it's it's a 
the risk becomes apparent. So just what's your take on there? Is there a, uh, I know you said they, they do some rigorous testing on the set that you've been on. Has it been that way on every set that you've been on? Yeah, some are a little bit stricter, meaning like some have uh, more plastic barricades. Some, you know, uh, do same day testing as well as prior testing. Some don't. Um, so, but most are trying to do their best or have some, they all have a protocol of some sort. It's just a matter of degree with the different protocols. Um, and I feel everything is really uh, just a personal decision. You know, if you're taking care of somebody who's at risk or if you're around people who might be at risk, maybe you shouldn't take that risk. Um, right. You yourself, you know, for instance, I do a lot of media events and live events for General Motors. So I was doing that from December to March, and I was one of the smart people on a cruise in the Indian Ocean in March, but I was able to get back. So personally, I would be surprised if I hadn't been exposed to it, and I, I feel I may have an immunity. I don't know. All I can state is I've been tested about four times you know, already for work, and every time it's been negative. Uh, but again, it's a personal choice for everybody. And when I'm in public, you know, not to infect others, of course, I'm wearing a mask and following, you know, the Fauci guidelines, you know, I think right. people should do it. But if somebody is a little bit of a dope, what are you going to do? I think I've had it twice, actually. Really? Uh, I yeah. think I was I, I think I was one of the first people exposed to it back in January. And before anybody had really heard about it, I had uh, I was doing some consulting with with a company and I was in an office where a guy had just come back from Wuhan, China and and he had the flu, the -hmm. flu. And so I got sick the next day. But then I said to my wife, I said, this is the weakest flu I've ever had. It's just funny. And then uh, I had it for about two weeks. So and I was out performing, oddly enough, I was going to nursing homes with 101 temperature uh, in a nursing home and performing and like foolish of me to be doing. But uh, and I obviously had distance even then before anybody was using the term social distance but then uh, a couple of months went by and then we had the lockdown and my wife who was a nurse got it and and then i i was tested positive for it at that point but i did not have any symptoms at that point so it might have been just antibodies that were still in my system from january uh who knows but so i'm not sure that you can be immune to it was just the point i was getting at yeah yeah so, uh, well, that that's an uh, you know, I think you're right. It is an interesting thing for me. It's 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 like a pressure thing because I, as I mentioned, I don't want to do it, but I have a band and they do want to do it, and, they, and some of them need to do it, uh, you know. And so I don't want to be the reason other people aren't working. So there's these kind of dual pressures. To, I don't want to be the reason somebody gets COVID, but I don't want to be the reason somebody suffers on their business too. And if they're depending on me to, to help make that run, it's a tricky thing. And, and you're right. It is a personal decision. Mm-hmm. Um, hold up the book again. Oh, sure. Okay. Now, on wherever, if anybody's interested. The, the link is in the description. The, the name of the book is Luxury Steals and Deals, The Easy Guide to the Good Life. And it's all about how you can uh, live a better life without necessarily being rich. You can live a, a life uh, that uh, has all, some of the, the perks of being rich without being rich. Is that a, a good way to describe it? Yeah. I mean, to me, it's you know, like finagling or playing the system and finding a way in. You know, So, I mean, a first-class plane ticket is expensive, but there's many ways to get upgraded to first class and not pay a dime. Um, right. so- with, you know, getting free food at a hotel on the concierge level. You know, now, again, with the pandemic, things are going to be a little bit different how it's arranged. Um, but still, the general idea all applies to housing, you know, because there's other housing deals that we didn't cover. So it affects everything to, you know, getting, uh, going shopping. There's even deals, you know, you can get on medical. I mean, you know, just everything. So that's what I cover because, you know, as an artist, a lot of times you need those deals or even for myself. With my rent being low, I don't have to worry as much if the acting job did not happen or if I'm rejected for a project or now that, you know, the pandemic happened, you know, thank God, I, you know, with my bills being lower, it didn't, you know, um, make me destitute. I mean, which could easily happen, you know, without a backup plan. So. 
So the link to the to buy the book on Amazon is also in the description, or and the links to Sean's websites, two two different websites you see there, uh, are in the in the description as well. Uh, and uh, just I, I got to, and if this is too controversial for you, just say I don't want to talk about that. But uh, what I noticed in doing some research on this, now you wrote the book in in 2014, and 2016. Good Morning America came out with Lux, L-U-X-E, Steals and Deals segment on this program. Do you feel like you got ripped off? (laughs) (laughs) If anybody wants to represent me for free, let's go after it. Well, I I couldn't help but know that. I was like, that seems awfully like uh, a weak kind of um, uh, way to kind of disguise that you're you're taking somebody else's idea and, and running with it as your own. Because all they did was take off the R-Y of L-U-X-E, Steals and Deals, and it's a regular segment they have on there. So, yeah, yeah uh, if you're a pro bono lawyer and you want to represent Sean in this, let's get on GMA. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, hey, I have probably deals you didn't cover, so there you I, go. I thought maybe you'd you'd want to keep that door open with them to, because uh, of your um, status as a television host. You might be on that program at some time, so might not want to go down to why I thought you might. The options. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, Sean, it's been great to get to know you and hear a little bit about your story. I hope people buy the book, and I wish you great success moving forward. Thank you. Take care. God bless you. Great um, having the opportunity. I appreciate it. Stay yeah, well. Stay well, and happy holidays. Happy holidays. Bye, bye for now. This episode is brought to you by Put Me in the Story. Put Me in the Story creates personalized books for kids by taking best-selling children's picture books and well-loved characters and allowing you to create personalized books that make your child the star of the story alongside their favorite characters. Save 25% store-wide when you click the link on MindDogTV.com and use the code SAVE25. We're also sponsored by Lovely. Lovely is your online stop for modern, irresistible, and affordable women's clothing. Never before has dressing yourself been so easy. Lovely's carefully curated selection of apparel, accessories, and outerwear are always on trend and always available at the web's best prices. Lovely is dedicated to delivering high-quality clothing to women that will make them look and feel their best. They believe every woman has the right to dress well and shouldn't have to spend a lot to love how she looks. They make it easy to wear outfits you love every day, giving you the confidence to take on the world. Lovely.com summer fashion trends are now 40% off, starting at just $5.99. Get an extra 18% off when you click the link on MindDogTV.com and use the code JFT18. We're also sponsored by Vapor DNA. Founded in 2013, Vapor DNA is the premier online vape store offering an industry-leading selection of electronic cigarettes, e-liquids, and accessories. Their friendly and knowledgeable customer service team is always ready to provide the best customer service experience to ensure you find what you're looking for. They guarantee their products to be 100% genuine and at the lowest possible price. They're so confident in their selection and customer service, they offer their customers a 45-day refund policy. Save 20% when you click the link on MindDogTV.com and use the code OrionQ. Sean P. Bennett, folks. Uh, the book, again, is called Luxury Steals and Deals, The Easy Guide to the Good Life. The link will be in the description, as are the links to uh, both of Sean's websites, one that, uh, you know, features him as uh, actor, media guest, author, uh, keynote speaker, and and television host, and the other one is strictly about uh, the book at Luxury Steals and Deals. So I hope you enjoyed this program. I hope you tell your friends about it. Come on back, subscribe, go to my YouTube channel, subscribe there, uh, and go to MindDogTV.com. Get on my mailing list so you know we're going to have great guests like this on. Uh, again, if it wasn't for COVID, we probably wouldn't have be able to get uh, people like this on the program. Uh, and questions and comments for me, info at MindDogTV.com, info at MindDogTV.com. Tonight at 8 p.m., the great 
the great funny comedian, cartoonist, filmmaker John Pavaromo will be uh, uh, with with us. To, uh, and uh, that's at 8 p.m. Eastern. You know him from the short film Dup It, but uh, comedy clubs all over America. A great cartoonist and all around great funny guy. Uh, so we're going to talk about a lot of things, the state of uh, stand up comedy today. And uh and his, whatever he happens to be working on right now. So I hope you'll join me then. Again, that's 8 p.m. Eastern, as always, here. Uh, I thank you for joining me today. Till then, I'm Matt Napo for the Mind Dog TV podcast. Thanks for coming. Bye for now. Will you tell me that you love me? What you say? Will you tell me it'll be true? Don't talk that way. Will you say you never leave me? What the hell? Well, you better do some listen to me, because I've got news. Break it off.